0: Chapter 16 of With the Judeans in the Palestine Campaign. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. With the Judeans in the Palestine Campaign by John Henry Patterson. Chapter 16 The Lost Transport Wagons meanwhile i was ordered to clear away the enemy believed to be still holding the ground to the north of our trenches round red hill i detailed captain h h harris and his company for this duty the remainder of the battalion taking up position in the vacated turkish trenches overlooking the jordan lieutenant jabotinsky with his platoon took possession of um es shirt and put the captured ford in a state of defence making machine-gun emplacements etc to cover the crossing i myself with captain julian lieutenant cross and a platoon reconnoitred up the river for i had heard that there was a bridge in existence which had been thrown across by the turks in the neighborhood of the ford and i was anxious to find it if possible after going some little way i found it was nearly eight o'clock a m and time to be getting back to my battalion headquarters so i left julian cross and the patrol to push on and make what discoveries they could along the river when i got back to my tent i found a telegram awaiting me from general chater which informed me that i had been given command of a body of troops to be known officially as patterson's column it was composed of the thirty-eighth and thirty-ninth battalions royal fusiliers and was ordered to concentrate on the auja bridgehead i handed over command of the thirty-eighth to major ripley who was the next senior officer and issued the necessary concentration orders later on i rode out to view the position which we had wrested from the turks on the jordan and on the way i was surprised to meet captain julian being brought in wounded on a camel he was in considerable pain but quite cheery and able to give me a full account of what had happened it seems that soon after i had left them the party was ambushed by the turks who caught them in the neighborhood of red hill with machine gun and rifle fire julian cross and private Mildmer fell the remainder of the patrol melted into a fold of the ground and made their escape julian although severely wounded in the foot also managed to get away aided by corporal elfman who gallantly helped him to safety although under heavy fire from the enemy reinforcements had been sent out as quickly as possible to the scene of the fight by the nearest company but by the time they arrived the turks had gone no trace could be found of lieutenant cross's body but private mildimer was found lying dead where he fell on receipt of this news i sent another party under lieutenant bullock to give burial according to jewish rites to the gallant man who had fallen and to make a thorough search of the locality for lieutenant cross's body but no trace of the missing officer could be found telegrams were dispatched to the hospitals at amman Dara, and to damascus after we had captured that city but nothing was known of him at any of these places and in the end we all came to the sad conclusion that we had seen the last of poor cross and that the Turks must have thrown his body into the Jordan after he had died from his wounds. His loss cast a gloom over the battalion. I was also exceedingly sorry to be deprived of Captain Julian's services with the transport, just at the moment when we were ordered to start off in pursuit of the enemy, for he was an ideal transport officer, and never once let the battalion down while he served in that capacity, and he had held this important position from the day he joined us. It was not long until we had a sharp reminder of his loss for that same evening our transport trekked off and could not be found anywhere some one i never could discover who gave the transport sergeant orders to leave his lines on the auja and report with all wagons etc to major ripley in the malaha in the darkness he failed to find the major and on the morning of the twenty third not a single soul in the battalion knew anything about where the transport had gone or how it could be found they had completely vanished from the ken of everybody taking with them our food forage, cooking pots, and spare ammunition. The new transport officer, Captain Cunningham, who had been detailed to take Captain Julian's place, was unable to find any trace of them when he went to take over charge. They had mysteriously disappeared from their bivouac and gone off into the blue. This was a very disturbing factor in the situation, for we had orders to start off in pursuit of the enemy at two o'clock a.m. next morning cunningham quartermaster smythe and all available men who could be pressed into the service were sent in every direction to run the transport to earth eventually smythe came back to say that he had been tracking wagon wheels for at least five miles but they could not be ours for the tracks led steadily in a northerly direction towards the turkish lines after duly strafing major ripley for having this early in his command lost his transport i set off in quest of the rovers Luckily my charger Betty was in splendid condition, and I certainly put her on her mettle that morning. I took up the trail that Smythe had abandoned, followed it for seven or eight miles at a steady canter, and then lost all trace on hard ground. I had to cast round in a big circle before I found it once more, then I went on again for another three or four miles when I met some Australians, on asking them if they had seen a column of wagons going northward they said no we have been along here for a couple of miles but we have seen nothing this was very disheartening news and i almost felt inclined to give up the quest in this direction and turn back but having come so far i made up my mind to go on even to the turkish lines themselves before i gave up the hunt i was then about eight miles short of the turkish position or what had been the turkish position at the foot of the hills towards which the track still led when I had covered another few miles to my inexpressible relief I at last caught sight of the transport steadily pursuing its way northward I made Betty put on an extra spurt and soon caught them up It is lucky that there was no grass about or the prairie itself would have caught fire when I at last overtook the transport sergeant the language addressed to the jackdaw by the cardinal lord archbishop of rem was angel talk compared to mine when I ordered him sharply to get back at once to where he came from he was so confused that he promptly turned his horse round and began to ride off towards camp, leaving his baggage wagons still calmly proceeding in the opposite direction. I called the day's sergeant back and told him very forcibly to halt the column and take the wagons back as quickly as possible to his original camp. I was never able to get any satisfactory information from the sergeant, who by the way was a Welshman and a Christian, as to what induced him to trek off into the unknown in such a mad fashion I can only imagine that the devil, who lives in the Jordan Valley, had impersonated Major Ripley and had ordered the sergeant to push for all he was worth for the Turkish lines, leaving us without food, water, cooking pots, or ammunition, in fact leaving us beggars by the wayside. My chase of the transport wasted some precious hours, but I was back in camp soon after 10 a.m., where I found the battalion full of bustle and activity, preparing for concentration on the Auja bridgehead. On my return to headquarters, I found that Major Ripley was ill and only fit for hospital. He had had a most nerve-shattering time while commanding his section, for his posts were very much exposed, and there was always the dread and anxiety of an attack in overwhelming numbers. Sleep really comes to soothe a man's nerves in such trying circumstances, especially in the awful heat we endured in the Malaha. In fact, Major Ripley's features had wasted away so much, owing to the worry and anxiety of all he had undergone, that he reminded me of nothing so much as one of the mummified birds I had once seen in a cave of Upper Egypt. I never saw Major Ripley again in the battalion, but I am glad to say he made an excellent recovery, and was eventually given a good staff job in Alexandria. I gave the command of the battalion to Major Neal, and from that moment I had no further anxieties outside my own province with which to contend. End of chapter 16